What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Kawhi Leonard is going to join the Clippers. Kawhi turns the corner for the win. Three on the way. Yes. Paul George nails it. Lou Williams for the win. Bingo. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to a special edition of Clip and Roll. I'm your host, Justin Russo. And today, tonight, actually, as we record this, as I record this, I'm at 11 p.m. close on my what time are you at 2 a.m. oh yeah as you can hear this is not farbod farbod's not here we gave farbod the night off he's too busy pumping iron and looking good so instead i got shane young from forbes sports shane it is late at night for you or early in the morning actually on a saturday yeah. do you have any saturday plans none at all i plan to eat like a pig and watch basketball Wow, sounds sounds actually like what I'm going to end up doing. So you know, can't really say anything about it. Um, which, by the way, this is an interesting weekend. So the Super Bowl is on Sunday, right? And yeah. the Clippers get their customary 12 p.m. Staples Center tip-off time Super Bowl Sunday. Love it. Just love how that never changed, even in a pandemic. At least the league helped them out by giving them the worst defense of all time. At least they did that. They're the, yes, they're playing the Kings on Sunday, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, so since we were last here, and by we, it's a collective we here at Clip and Roll, um, the Clippers played the Brooklyn Nets, lost 124-120 in an absolute thriller. That was an amazing game. We're not going to talk about that game, really. We can do that, and I can do that with Farbod next week. Uh, they then uh, regrouped to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers on the second night of a back-to-back, 121-99. We're not going to talk about that game. Instead... As I said, we're recording this on Friday, February 5th. They played the Boston Celtics. They lost 119-115. But to get into this game, we have to first start with the news that became uh, known to everyone before the game. It became known that uh, – I almost said Kawhi Leonard and then I almost said Patrick Beverly and you know because they've both been out at certain points. Anyways, uh, Paul George got listed on the injury report about 1.30 in the afternoon uh, Pacific time. Questionable. With a right toe, with a sore right toe is how it was classified. And you're like, okay, that's a little bit weird. Like, you know, this could be nothing. This could be something. Who knows? Well, it turns out it's something. Um, he was diagnosed with what is considered as a bone edema. Now, for people who don't know what that is, don't worry. Google is your friend, and it was my friend as well. I do know what the word edema means, but I didn't know what a bone edema was. So when Shane and I looked it up, we kind of you kind of get like the – when you do the Google search of – bone edema toe you get the most basic stuff right and what it's classified as is a bone marrow edema which is often referred to as a bone marrow lesion and it occurs when fluid builds up in the bone marrow and this edema is typically a response to an injury such as a fracture or conditions such as osteoarthritis this is from healthline this is this is exactly what bone edema is now as it says Bone edema usually resolves itself with rest and physical therapy. But here's the thing. 
And here's the kicker. Number one, we don't know how severe the case is for Paul George. It could be not severe at all. It could be, you know, just he's back in a week. It could be even more severe. And the more severe cases have existed in the NBA. Robert Williams of the Boston Celtics, he had uh, what was, I guess, classified as hip bone edema or hip bone edema sounds weird to say, I guess. But you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, He had that and he was out for, I believe, four months or three months. The other one was Otto Porter Jr. He had he had bone edema in his foot and he was also out three months. So I'm not saying you're not going to see Paul George until three months or four months from now. I don't know. Um, I tweeted out earlier today that it doesn't sound great in terms of seeing him anytime soon. I still stand by that based on everything I've read, based on what I have inferred from others. It sounds like we might not see him for a while. I personally do not know how long a while is, but Shane this is not a small injury considering Paul George a was playing the best basketball that he has played in several years. And B apparently while he had this going on, he just decided to make eight three pointers in Cleveland. And that was like the weirdest thing I've ever known about someone that they could have bone and demon make eight three pointers in a game. Precisely. And I think where I stand on this, Justin is I'm kind of just clueless right now. And I don't like I want to refrain from jumping to any conclusions about it just because think about it. it, The Clippers are smart with injuries. They're smart with their science. They're smart with everything that goes on behind the scenes. And I think if it was a if it was a very, very serious instance of it, I I would assume they would just list them out earlier in the day or the day before, you know, the the whole questionable thing and not, not knowing until game time or until pregame, at least uh, that kind of signals to me that it wasn't, it didn't seem that bad, but of course I don't think the Clippers knew fully so that maybe they could have found out more information and maybe it is more serious than we were led to believe at, you know, what three or four o'clock during the day, whatever it was. Um, So I think, I, I I think there is some, cause for concern in that regard that, you know, maybe they found out more stuff as the day progressed. Um, Now you bring up a good point that if, if Paul was looking as healthy and as, as fresh and, you know, mobile as he was on that road trip, you know, he comes back in Orlando uh, dominates with a good performance. And then, uh, you know, in Cleveland, really, I mean, you know, the Knicks game is, was whatever. And the, um, the Brooklyn game, he, he, look good down the stretch but for him to look that good in cleveland specifically moving off the ball like just running around being very aggressive defensively like that's just not typical of someone that would be dealing with major foot problems you know so it's kind of wild i think uh i think you hit the nail on the head there that it's kind of it's kind of insane that someone that was dealing with foot soreness or toe soreness whatever the case is could look that good so that kind of leads me to believe it's not going to be crazy because, you know, it wasn't like he was struggling or more struggling to move around. So maybe we'll find out more information as the days progress. But right now it's it, it it's a weird it's a weird dynamic where you're stuck in the middle. You don't know whether to be alarmed about it or to be just kind of like cautiously optimistic. Yeah, I don't think there's harm in life in anything. Just saying, I don't know. Like, if you don't know anything, I don't know how long he's going to be out. I don't know when it happened, and I don't know what it means, Um, especially going forward for just him personally, nevertheless the team, but just him. The interesting thing is you and I talked about this before going on doing this episode. There's been weird things like with him. So, like, January 5th, he misses the Spurs game with what was classified as like right ankle soreness. Now, when I read what bone edema could stem from, which was, you know, a fracture of another bone, 
Maybe they're related, but that means Paul George had to have played essentially an entire month, so to speak, mm-hmm. on what was a partially fractured foot, and then no one on the team had to find out. Now, I'm not saying that's not plausible, but that's really weird to have be a thing. The other thing is, like, if you remember in the Brooklyn game, he doesn't play the final four minutes of the first half. Maybe he hurt his, hurt his foot there. No one knows. I don't know. It's just a thing, though, where – there's so much uncertainty. He went from not being on the injury report to being questionable about 130 to being completely ruled out. Yeah. And I don't know if that's good that they didn't find it till late. I don't know if it's bad. I don't know. But at the end of the day, you know, however long it takes him to get healthy, it takes. And I'd rather him, if he has to take two, three months off to get healthy, by all means, take it. Yes. The team will be hurt in in the short term in terms of regular season without him, but you're also kind of want, you want him for the postseason. You're going to need him. The -hmm. other thing is he's not the only guy dealing with an injury right now. Patrick Beverly has not played since January 24th. We're coming up to essentially almost three weeks now without Patrick Beverly. And he's been out this entire time with right knee soreness. Um, excuse me, not, not three weeks, two weeks. I can't do math right now. Um, but we're getting, you know, we're getting flashbacks. We're getting, we're getting flashbacks of the first round <laughs> against Dallas is what we're getting. Yeah. Um, I don't know when Pat's going to be back. Ty Lu, you and I both know there's no question. Ty Lu loves more in the world than an injury related question. That's his favorite question. Absolutely loves it. If you ever get on a call with the call with Ty Lu, please ask him about injuries. He'll love you forever. But, um, you know, I, I, there's so much uncertainty right now in terms of health. And one of the weirdest things from this season so far is that when he's been able to play, which is not out due to health and safety protocols or not out with a mouth laceration, Kawhi Leonard has been playing back to backs. So who would have guessed that this year with everything going on? Oh, yeah. I, Kawhi, I think that is probably the biggest takeaway the biggest positive takeaway of the first 23 help me out 24 games 23 24 which is actually right on on the dot for a third of the season that's wild um i it's got to be the biggest takeaway is that Kawhi looks the the most energized he ever has in a first uh portion of the series or first portion of the season sorry and i think I, I think that's just a, a big deal that he's willing to do the, the back-to-backs because I really thought coming into the season, it wasn't going to be a matter of of him personally having a say in it. I thought it was going to be his his personal doctors, the guys that advised him in Toronto, you know, the, the, the people that put him on that plan when he got to the Clippers and when he got to the Raptors in those two specific seasons, and that it was just going to be a thing that preserved him for the next 10-plus years of his career. So I thought that was going to be the case for Kawhi, but – uh, it, it definitely helps that he's willing to play these back-to-backs and and uh, kind of fill in the void whenever you have injuries of this nature, uh, down two starters without Pat and without Paul George. And, you know, you, you kind of mentioned it there that without PG, everyone hates the the cliche of, of you want to have the next man step up. But it, it's it's kind of impossible to do that now. I don't care what Lou Williams says. I don't care what all these people say about stepping up. You can't fulfill PG's shooting, his length, or his 11.6 drives to the rim per game. Like, that, he's second in drives per game to only Kawhi. And I just don't think you can you can allocate those rim attacks, those pick-and-roll opportunities to a Lou 
to a Reggie Jackson, you know, God forbid you give him 10 more <laughs> pick and roll opportunities a game. Um, <laughs> you could probably space it out to more with Luke Kennard uh, and, and you know things of that nature in terms of getting him more downhill to try to replicate that. But no matter what you do, you're not going to replicate Paul George's ability to put pressure on the defense and read the defense and, and generate shots. Cause I think although they, they, uh, you know, you might disagree, but I thought I thought they got some really good looks tonight in the first half, particularly off pick and roll action. It's just like that stuff that Paul George makes it last throughout a whole game. He does really good in the third quarters, and it's uh, you know it, it's not something that we saw materialize tonight. Whenever you know that they, they went with more Luke Kennard, more Lou Williams, and it's just it, things kind of got stale down the stretch. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more. With the Credit Karma Money Spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, you bring up Paul George driving to the rim. It's not even just as a passer or as a scorer. It's as both. And, you know, he's shooting 61% the season inside eight feet. Like, you're missing that guy. Not only are you missing the guy shooting 48% from three, you're missing the guy who's highly efficient around the rim. So... In the package of one player, that's a that's a big guy to miss. And yes, you're you're 100% right. They're going to undersell it. They're going to say, you know, next man up. You just got everyone deals with everything. And they're right. They're right. Everyone deals with injuries. Everyone deals with health and safety. Everyone deals, you know, with everything. Like the season is insane and everyone's going to have to deal with similar things. But we're talking about a top 10, top 12, top 15 player in the league, you know, being out for the unforeseen future. Like we don't know how long he's out. And you miss him tonight, especially because, you know, it puts more pressure on guys like Reggie Jackson to perform. And Reggie Jackson finishes with two points, although he does have five assists and a couple of rebounds. But, you know, it puts pressure on Terrence Mann to perform. And, yes, Terrence Mann was solid tonight, I thought. Four points, four rebounds, two assists. And I'm going to get into something interesting with him in a second. So I'm going to try to put a (laughs) mental pin in that and come back to that. But then it puts pressure on other guys like Nicholas Batum has to perform. Lou Williams has to perform. Marcus Moore Sr. has to be good. And those guys I thought were good tonight. Uh, Marcus kind of tailed off in the second half compared to the first. But, you know, Kawhi wasn't as good as he could have been, which is funny because then you look up and you see 28, 11, and 5, and you're like, all right, he wasn't that good. (laughs) But I don't think he was that good tonight. I thought he was solid to good. I didn't think he was great. Um, The problem in this game, more so than injuries, and injuries played a factor, yes, the Clippers were without Patrick Beverly and Paul George. But the Boston Celtics were without Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart. And those are two very good players in their own right. Jalen Brown's having an amazing Mm -hmm. year. Um, 
the Clippers ran into two problems. And I don't think the first problem is as bad as you and I probably think it is, but the second one's the bigger one. The first problem is I think they played drop coverage and pick and rolls a little bit too much. They did it in the game against Cleveland. I did a whole video breakdown that I wanted to just go outside and, you know, just fall into like a a snow pit or something and just never come out. (laughs) They just ran drop coverage for like, I, I put 30 plays in that video and I swear to God there had to be like 40. Um, Tonight they went really overboard and they got killed for it because you're not facing Colin Sexton and Darius Garland anymore. No matter how good those two have become, you're facing Kemba Walker and you're facing Jason Tatum. And you're, if you're going to drop coverage, I tweeted out in the first, I believe even the first quarter, if you're going to drop coverage that much, especially deep drops, you're going to get killed because they're not just going to pull up in the mid range. They're just going to let it fly yeah. from three. And that's exactly what they did. And they tried to dig down from the wing and then they gave up threes to Carson Edwards or Grant Williams in the corner off of swing, swing. And then now, now it's like the snowball effect and they just, they didn't blitz them. And I didn't understand it quite a bit now. We do know Ty likes to experiment. Maybe this is, you know, a stretch of games where you're just going to see drop coverage, see how the team performs. It's just been interesting because, like, there's instances where they play drop and look really good. And then there's instances where they get one high ball screen and they're in drop coverage 20 feet behind it. And I don't know why. It, it's infuriating from just a just a neutral standpoint. Like if you watch NBA basketball, I don't know how you know how I feel about drop coverage. I don't know yep. how you're in 2021 and you think that it's a viable option for 40 or 50 possessions. As you said, if there was probably 40 possessions in the Cleveland game, especially when you consider, you know, how did Kimba Walker make his money? Like. In that 2015, 16, 16, 17 years, uh, I believe maybe a year after that as well with the Hornets, like this dude turned into a bona fide star on pull up shooting. Like I think one year he went straight to like 40 percent on on elite volume, you know, close to it. Um, And so he's been seeing it for years and years over a decade. Kimba Walker has seen drop coverage and, you know, Jason Tatum hasn't been in the league that long, but. He is, you know, with with the the high release point of him, not only can you not be back five feet or six feet like Zubats and, and Ibaka are on some of these sets, but you have to be like right breathing on his face pretty much just to get a good contest. And it's just, I, I do agree. I think if you mix in just, you know, I don't think it's a situation where you're asking for 100% blitzes, 100%, uh, you know, traps. I think maybe just as Ty always says, which is kind of strange that he that he hasn't really uh, spoken or, you know, the word it hasn't actually come out into action. It's been words, but giving them different looks. I think if you just, you know, parse out, I would say, you know, 10 or 15 of those drop possessions and make them blitzes or, you know, uh, you know, hard hedges, then it's it, it's something where where they might get a little bit uncomfortable. So, yeah, I, you know, I just don't think drop coverage is going to last against 22 or 23 teams out there. Uh, maybe maybe you'll come across six or seven or eight of them that you can really survive in that regard. Uh, Cleveland was one of them where they, they lived in that mid-range. And Zubats, I believe, was it Zubats after the game that said the coaching staff has specifically told the bigs we're going to live with that shot in the floater range? So, you know, that's one team that you can do that against. But Boston is not one of those teams. Yeah, I, I actually asked you about that question. He sounded frustrating when he had to answer. <laughs> but, you know, it's 
I get it. As a big man, you don't want to give up shots near you. Like no defender wants to get scored on. I think he takes it personally that like they're giving up these shots like right in front of him. And his his assignment is just to stand there, give a solid contest, but not really do anything other than just stand there and make sure they don't get to the rim. It's just I get it. I 100 percent get it. Like, but you're right. And it kind of reminds me not all the way, but it kind of reminds me of like the Dallas series where like they were so persistent through the first four games of just running the same pick and roll coverage over and over and over. And it, and it just was never working. Now, the difference in this is we've seen Ty Lue blitz. We've seen him trap. We've mm-hmm. seen him hedge. You know, we've seen him drop. Like we've seen everything out of, out of his defense so far. I do think they're trying to work through what they think might work and what might not work at this level. And it might just be an experiment that really honest to God might be the experiment, but you know, we're going to need more games, more flow to understand what's really going on. And I will, uh, I will add there that I thought on not uh, not all possessions, but most of possessions. I thought Terrence Mann did a good job of rearview contest. You know the the old Eric Bledsoe adage, so, you know stuff where you get around the screens and make it a little bit tough. But but the problem with that is you're not going to make it tough on Tatum. As I said, the high release point, I, it no contest um, is enough for that dude because he's going to be. Yeah, I think he's going to be a top five player soon. <laughs> you know what's weird? They've been doing the whole drop coverage thing and trying to do the rear contest without Patrick Beverly, who would be the best guy for yeah. that. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they they might not have a choice for the next, what, one or two weeks. No, we, and that's another yeah. thing. We, we literally we have no idea about when all they, all they tell us, back. All they tell us is he's out. And here's how I know he's going to be out for a while, folks. You ready? They always rule him out one day before the game. <laughs> Yeah, and if you were getting ruled out a day before a game, you most likely are not coming back for about another week. That's just the how Marcus, I look at it. The Marcus Morris rule. Yeah, the Marcus Morris rule. Yes, if you keep getting ruled out the day before a game, just assume you're not going to see them for a little while. Out of yeah. sight, out of mind. At that point, now I did mention Terrence. Man, I do want to bring up something interesting. So I tweeted about it. I went back and watched it even during game. Um, around the ten minute mark of the second quarter. The Clippers are up by 12 and they get a steal. Lou Williams passes the Terrence man on the break. Terrence man hits what appears to be a corner mm-hmm. three. It is ruled as such on the floor. They even come back down without the clock ever stopping and continue along the possession. If you watch the referees in real time, they act like it's a made three pointer. Things keep going on. The interesting thing is in the official game book, it is ruled as a Terrence man out of bounds, lost ball turnover, which means he stepped on the line. However, they never once go into any explanation on ESPN or on prime ticket that I saw about when they overturned it. Now there was a timeout at the nine twenty mark. Maybe that's when they did it because the score did get adjusted, but it's rather interesting that like everything was going well And like he makes it and then all of a sudden it's off the board. And I didn't actually know you can go back and actually review that he stepped out of bounds to rule it no good. I thought you had to challenge that. Exactly. I thought it was only you could review if it was a two or three, but the out of bounds and the shot clock one. I think the shot clock one is reviewable, right? The shot clock is reviewable. They will go back and, and, and review that one. So yeah, the out of bounds one was new was news to me, but I really didn't even pick up on it. I was in the middle of watching the game and also like trying to break down the play. And ironically, that that play I thought was I thought was very indicative of the Clippers, um, you know, a play that didn't even count. I thought it was indicative of their hustle and their uh, 
ability to get out in the, on the break tonight. Like uh, it started with a Lou Williams steal, right? And then he immediately hits Marcus Morris, who's sprinting down the court. You know, it, normally Morris is going to his corners or, you know, kind of trailing behind the play. But, you know, Morris turns on the Jets, catches the ball near the, the, key or the foul line and then sends an immediate dart to Terrence Mann. So like that was perfect unison for that trio on the break and it didn't end up, didn't did not end up mattering. Okay, so uh someone asked me, by the way, the only reason I knew it happened is because someone asked me, they were like, didn't Terrence Mann make a three? And I was like, yeah, I thought he did, but it wasn't on the stat sheet. I just went back and watched it again. Number one, he does step out of bounds. It appears he does. Like if you mm-hmm. pause it and you look at it, it looks like his heel is out of bounds. There is a coach for Boston sitting right there in f- behind him as he takes it, who points down to the line that he stepped out of bounds. But that means that they did go back and review it, but it's not a Boston challenge because it would have been listed as a Boston Celtics challenge. Now, that's not why the Clippers won the game. I just thought it was an interesting thing from the game in and of itself. They lost the game to the biggest, to the second biggest factor, which to me is the biggest factor, and we're going to get into it now, is turnovers. They turned the ball over way too much. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. 16. 16. 16. Yeah. Yeah, 16 turnovers is way too many. I know Ty Lue was fuming at that probably. He likes to keep it around 11 or 12. They've had 10 games this year in which they've had it at 11 for the entire game or less. Um, They finished with 16. Boston gets 26 points off of it. That's the game. As much as everyone wants to talk about the Boston three-point barrage in the third quarter, as much as people are going to bring up Luke Kennard fouling Carson Edwards on a three with about three minutes to go, everyone's going to bring that up. That's not why they lost the game. It didn't help them win the game. That's not why they lost it. They lost it because of 16 turnovers. They didn't take care of the ball. They were sloppy turnovers. They get the steal up by one with 30 seconds to go and immediately just turn it right back over. Uh, Kawhi turns it over. You know, it's like yeah. the little things matter. And what, what happens? Kemba gets a, you know, straight up a, a, a pull-up mid-range shot, knocks it down. Yeah, you know? some, of the, some of the turnovers are, are I don't even know if this is a proper term, but like there, there's some healthy turnovers to where you, you can see the process and the vision happening. I think most of Paul George's turnovers this year have been healthy um, to a certain degree. There's some that's like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> uh, but I, I do believe like there were some ones tonight that, that, you know, you could see Lou Williams trying to get Avika Zubats to roll harder, trying to get him to catch the ball and Zoo did not catch the ball. Um, and he then there's the other order. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's other ones. There's other ones where it was just, you know, like bone, boneheaded plays, you know, out of bounds or, or uh, just uh, careless passes. So I think, I think th- this might be an anomaly. The 16 turnovers, as you said, they've had a lot of games where, uh, you know, as, as we mentioned before we got on the air, they they were fourth in turnover rate. Now they're fifth. So that that means they've been doing something right for the first 23 games. And tonight might just be an aberration. So they had 16 tonight. They had 16 against Cleveland and they turned the ball over way too much against Cleveland. Although I think the one of those against Cleveland might have been. Mm. At the end of the game, I'm not certain. Um, but then you look against Brooklyn, they had eight. Against the Knicks, seven, 11, 12, 12, 10, 13. The last time before these two games that they had f- even th- uh, 15 or more turnovers was January 20th against Sacramento. And they had a couple blips back-to-back. It's really interesting actually going through their game log. They get blips back-to-back and then kind of clean it up. So like they had 16 <laughs> against the Lakers, 21 against Denver, 14 against Dallas, 15 against Minnesota. So they, they kind of ran into a little bit of a stretch. 
But then after that, they cleaned it up. Then they had 20 and 19 against the Warriors, cleaned it all the way up, get to 18 and 17 against Indiana and Sacramento. Clean it up for like eight games, basically. Seven or eight games. Actually, the entire road trip, except for the Brooklyn or except for the Cleveland game. And then these last two. So it's going to be a thing where they're probably going to talk tomorrow and be like, hey, can't really turn the ball over. And then they're probably going to fix it against Sacramento. And we'll be like, oh, they fixed it. And, you know. You know yeah, how life it, is where game by game you get to you get to feel better or worse about the team. Yeah, I know. Did did you uh did you also want to touch on the last I, I can't remember if it was two or three the last two possessions there where it was you, you could sense that that the Clippers were getting a little nervous with the with the double teams coming uh at Kawhi near the elbow. Yeah, and, so yeah. that's where they missed PG because if you double Kawhi in that situation with PG off the floor, it kind of goes how it goes. And Kawhi feels like he has to take a shot and that can lead to problems because as we saw, he, he, he missed a couple and you know, that was it Um, with PG on the floor. It's harder to double because then it's a swing or it's a kick out, then a swing and a swing. And all of a sudden you're screwed. And that doesn't happen with P like if PG is on the floor, I don't think you see the hard aggressive doubles as you did. But, you know, it's something they're going to have to live with. It's also something I don't think Kawhi has really seen as much this season as he did last season. Last season, he saw more doubles. And I think this season is going to have to kind of get back used to that again, especially with PG out. And he's going to have to be more of a playmaker for guys. Um, yeah, the last couple of possessions didn't really go well. I do want to say Lou Williams showed up in that fourth quarter. Yeah, <laughs> he that, he turns back the clock nice. every every few games. He turns back the clock, uh, so it, it's it's kind of good to see that. And and I think uh, on one possession, he got all the way to the rim after taking Tristan Thompson off the dribble on a switch, mm-hmm. and I, the shot just didn't go down. I think it was a foul. I think it went to the line after that. But um, you know, you do like to see him attacking those switches more, and and maybe uh, getting to the rim more is something that he needs to do instead of just the just the settling for jumpers. Agreed. And and also, you know, the Clippers also lost us in the math department. They went 17 of 21 from the free throw line, which is good. 81%. They shoot a little bit higher than that as a team, but you know, the came, you know, 81% is good. Like every team would love to shoot 81%. Yeah. But Boston also shot 81%. They both were 17 of 21 from the line. But Boston down the stretch, they get Tristan Thompson to make two free throws. Grant Williams makes two free throws. Carson Edwards makes a couple free like guys who normally don't go to the line made all their free throws. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, if the free throw, you know, if if Lou Williams makes one of the two free throws he missed, if Kawhi makes one of the two free throws he missed, and then you start factoring, obviously, like the little nuts and bolts, like, oh, if Tristan misses one of his or like, it's a different game. But that's also basketball. Games are won and lost on the margins. And tonight, as we record this, the Clippers lost it in turnovers more than anything Drop coverage was a problem. I don't feel like it was the ultimate problem as much as turnovers yeah. were. But I do agree with the thought that this could be a learning process for them. I don't view this as a loss. I view it as a learning process. Like they have to learn how to play yeah. without one of their superstars again. Yeah, the last time I I the last time the Clippers lost that I thought was a bad loss that could be viewed as like maybe you know all hell's breaking loose you definitely need to you definitely need to get in the film room quickly and change things might might have been that last warriors game um i think january 8th is the last time they lost a game where you can say okay we need we need to actually sit down and talk about things and 
And that and that's it. I mean, then they go on that seven game winning streak, and then the, the Atlanta loss you just chalk up to missing three starters, and then the Brooklyn the Brooklyn loss. I know we didn't want to get too much into it, but I do have to say this about Brooklyn: like, I do not care what on earth the Clippers did differently. The Nets just have three of the best ISO scores of all time. Three of the best seven ISO scores of all time. Like it's just there wasn't nothing. There wasn't anything that the Clippers could have done other than have Patrick Beverly um, that might have mattered there. So I think this loss, as you said, might be the the one that you can learn things from. So they've been hot otherwise. Real quick on Brooklyn, you want to know why I'm not worried about Brooklyn's defense? And I know we're supposed to talk about the Clippers. You want to know why I'm not worried about their defense? I think you're going to pull out one of the awesome cleaning the glass stats on me here. I am. Yep. Brooklyn is Brooklyn is eighth defensively in the half court against top 10 offenses. So all this tells me is that Wild. when Brooklyn plays a team that they actually view as a threat, they will hammer them on defense. Um, they're, they're like Brooklyn's record against like really good teams is insane. Yeah, and that's when, Katie, that, that's when KD shows up the highest, man. Like, that's when he does. Yeah, I mean, they're what? They're 7-2 and two against teams at 500 or above, 7-8 and eight against teams below 500. All this tells me is Brooklyn is just sleepwalking, and then when they see an opponent who they actually have to try for, they just bludgeon them, and that's it. Yeah, it, it, it really does remind me of, like, it reminds me of how inevitable those Dubs and Cavs series were because, like, you know, you have you have Brooklyn that's just a machine that when it gets down to the in the Eastern Conference playoffs, whenever that time comes, although I have always been a long believer of Milwaukee, especially I think this year their playoff equity is like way higher now. They got Drew Holiday that can switch one through four. Um, it's still like you, you, you can get we, we've seen the story before of, of Kevin Durant getting a Drew Holiday switch. Like he's just going to shoot over the top of them. So, you know, you add in the Harden factor. You know, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the Clippers, the Lakers, the Bucks, the Sixers, the Celtics. Like that, the team that scares me is Brooklyn because it. You could do everything right that basketball gods and basketball experts and coaches have said to do for years and years and years. You could do everything right and still it won't lose. matter. It yeah. won't matter because there's a seven foot shot maker on the other side of the floor. There's a guy who can break everyone's ankles, and then there's James Harden who can pretty much do anything he wants on offense. It's insane. And then Landry Shamit. <laughs> okay. Okay. Anyways, um, before we go, I do want to touch on this. Kawhi Leonard was asked post game tonight after the game against Boston about his thoughts about the All Star game, and uh, well, I'll just say that he did not seem like he wants to go to the All Star game. His quote was, "It is what it is at this point. We all know why we're playing it. There's money on the line. There's opportunity to make more money." Just putting money over health right now, pretty much. And he finished it by saying, it doesn't really surprise me. Um, while we finish this, I want to ask you, in your opinion, two things. In your opinion, do you think the All-Star game should happen? And number two, do you, th- do you think the players will ultimately just tell the NBA we're not going? I do not think it should happen. I think what they should do is something that I think I think uh, we all had the idea they were going to do is just name the All-Stars. And actually, if you're just going to do that, just name 15, just add a couple more spots and, and get more guys on the All-Star team this year and just, uh, you know, kind of give your accolades that way so you can at least get the the accolade and the award in your name. You know, Kawhi Leonard will be an X-time All-Star, um, but not have the game. 
because it, if you're going to have the game, it, it, it has to be with a lot of fans. I don't think it makes even a lick of sense to have the all-star game without fans that just, it, it, it's boneheaded to me. So in that instance, we know that it's unsafe to have fans, especially like down there in Atlanta. So let's just not do it and call it a day. But no, the the league, the league is going to do it. I, I think I might disagree with you on this, Justin. I think I think the league is still going to go through with it. I, I I I think it's too much of like a TV revenue type thing and a TV opportunity to turn down, even if you have LeBron and Kawhi and and Darren Fox and and uh, Jason Tatum, all these guys kind of going speaking out about it. I, I kind of think the league just might say to hell with you guys. <laughs> It's funny because I was actually going to say I do think the league will ultimately go through with it because they don't care. Kawhi said it. It's about money. That's all the league cares about at this point, which I get it. It's also shouldn't be the only thing. Um, do I think it should be happening? No, not even not even remotely close. Uh, it should not be happening. But the league is how they are, and uh, if they try to have make- like. If, to, if they try to have dunk contests and stuff like that, it's going to be hilarious if they try to do that. If they go, if they have dunk contests. Um, I don't even have the words to express how a- angry I will actually be at that. Uh, there's no need for this. There's no need. The NBA is worried that players going to go to Atlanta and get, uh, or no, I'm sorry. The, the, the NBA is worried that players will stay home and get COVID like how, when they returned home from the bubble, but you're yeah. sending them to Atlanta. You're not going to yeah. get 30 players to not go do things. <laughs> there's also the component. There's also the component of, and and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I, I think LeBron's sentiment last night or the other night was more so of, I, I think he's, I, I should say this, I think he's rightfully concerned about the health and safety first and foremost. But I would say, I think a large part of, of his tone was that he is pissed off that the Lakers had 71 days worth of rest and so did the Heat and then they want to turn around and start the season on December 22nd. And then they want to force these players that are going to be on the all-star team to go to Atlanta and spend their time in a hotel room uh, away from their family or with their family, whatever the case is, and not even get a break there. That's that's their built-in break, dude. Like, that's their break. Yep. And you know what? He has every right in the world to be pissed. I would be pissed too. I just want to, I would just want to spend time with my family after, you know, only getting 70 days off between the end of the last season, and the start of this one. It's utterly ridiculous that the NBA is even going to make them go through with this, but that's what we get to do. We get to complain about it and then just deal with it when they make it happen. Because what else the hell else am I going to do in my life other than complain about things I have no control over? Anyway, Shane, where can people find your work? Uh, the usual uh, Twitter at young NBA. Uh, if you, care so much on Instagram at Shane Young NBA and then Forbes Sports is where I do most of my writing, trying to do some more video stuff. So we'll see if uh if I feel like digging to the film from this one. Do you have anything left for the good people? This is a good time if you want to vent about anything. It's really therapeutic. Uh, I did it la- I did it earlier this week. It felt amazing. Oh, there's there's probably a lot out there to vent about. Um I think there's a ton. Yeah, there's a ton. And this is very, very off topic and not so much relevant to anything right now, but I'm kind of getting sick and tired of uh, people blaming refs for a lot of stuff. Like, I don't know if you've noticed, you know, we followed we you and I have followed each other for what, five, four or five years now. It's like oh, wow, I, have, yeah. I have never blamed any loss on any team 
on officiating. And it's like, I, I feel like I'm seeing that pop up a lot more specifically nuggets Lakers last night by a prominent NBA account. And it's just like, man, <laughs> that, Please just please don't like I. the refs do not give a shit what happens. So I would they not, want to go I, home to their family like the rest of everybody at the end of the day. Yes. I just yeah, I used to be a big believer, not a big believer. I used to believe that sometimes refs would affect outcomes. I think they do to some degree. You know, they're human. They make mistakes or they make calls like, you know, whatever. At yep. the end of the day, if a team just plays better, that stuff doesn't matter. Yeah, like it's exactly. like, like like that's just literally all it is. Like, hey, maybe if so and so would have made that shot, or if so and so, you know, doesn't throw a, a dumb pass here, like it's just, I'm not going to get on a normal people trying to do a job. Like it is what it is. I like, I find it interesting to actually talk about, like, because when when I tweet about like, oh, for instance, like Nicholas Batum tonight was actually really incensed. <laughs> over what he thought was a offensive three second call by Tristan Thompson. The way that I would have phrased that like several years ago is Nick Batum is incensed over what, what was uh, overthinking or something. I would have phrased it to where it sounded like I thought it was offensive yeah. three seconds, but I just phrased it over by saying what he thought was offensive three seconds. I don't agree sometimes with the players getting upset about non calls or calls. I think they're wrong. I think, Officials are wrong sometimes. Everyone's wrong, and that's why it's great because we all I dare. I dare an average person just to go officiate one NBA game and, and see what their accuracy rate is. <laughs> Dude, the calls that impress me the most uh, are when like a guy gets stripped clean under the rim in traffic, yeah. and the refs <laughs> don't call it a foul because then you watch it on a replay, and you're like, oh, yeah, no, that wasn't a foul. How the hell do you see that, man? But the, I will tell you the I will tell you the call that drives me insane is when the call when an official who's boxed out by four players on the court <laughs> makes a call across the court. That's insane to me. Why does that happen? Yeah, and then the players look at him and say, "Why are you calling that?" Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying he got the call wrong. I'm just saying that's a very weird person to have make that call based on light of sight, based on just you know <laughs> basic human instincts and geometric shapes i don't know yeah. is there anything anyway, else that's, is there anything that's been on your uh on your mind lately no um i'm trying to think has there been anything no not really just kind of living life day by day dealing with it um i do wish that everyone has a good evening um we will see you next week i'll be back with farbot i'll i'll, I'll you know peer pressure him into coming back on <laughs> um but uh, Shane, thank you for joining me on short notice. I appreciate it. I hope you're doing well. hope your family's doing well. I know it's super late. It's 2.30 over there. Try to get some damn sleep, man. And everybody too, else. Bro. Yeah, I'm going oh, to pass out good. Uh, everybody else, take it easy. Stay safe. Wear your mask. Social distance. Wash your hands. Use hand sanitizer. Tell people that you love them. If you have a dog, cat, whatever, give them some treats. Tell them they've been good. You know, animals are cool, too. I love them. Anybody, everybody else, take it easy. We'll talk to you guys later.